And um, if you have your Bibles, uh, you can open up to the Old Testament. We'll be in Jeremiah and Isaiah, but we'll start in Jeremiah chapter 18. You'll forgive me today if I keep my distance from you. I, we've had some of the COVID issues around the house uh, the last couple of weeks. We had a visitor from, uh, that came in that tested uh, later on when he went home, uh, called us and said that he had tested positive. So uh, we've been trying to self-quarantine. Uh, Sarah, she's been not feeling the best, so pray for her the most. And if you'll forgive me for just social distancing from you today, I don't have any symptoms and been feeling fine, but uh, you know how they want you to be careful about that. So just keep that in mind today. Also want to remind our council members, we're going to have a brief meeting right after church and uh, we just need to cover a couple things concerning our building back in the back and need some input from our council members on that. So right after church, we'll meet in the fellowship hall, a uh, very brief uh, meeting, and um, we appreciate you taking time for that. Well, the fair begins next weekend, I guess, next Friday, and we know everybody's going to be excited about that, keeping prayer all the families and all the things that are going on in there. Very busy period of time. Uh, just pray, keep your uh, keep those families in prayer. They're involved in all of those things. School starts soon as well. So a lot of stuff that's going on, just to keep in mind. Today, we want to talk about this idea as we continue our Safely Home series about community renewal. Uh, we've talked about community restoration. Last week, we talked about community renovation. Today, we're going to talk about community remodeling. Now, if you've ever had a remodeled project, then uh, you know that it doesn't always go as smooth as possible. And we've had our fair share of renovating in the last few years. Uh, we've renovated our bedroom and the little bathroom that's downstairs in our ensuite. And, um, you know, we didn't have to change the layout or any duct work or anything like that. We use the same space and the basic layout. And we've um, updated it to refresh the look and uh, make it a little more functional. And um, at least my wife's happy with it, so I'm thankful for that. But when we've had to remodel, like when we built onto our house, built that through the garage and then the big room on top of that, some of you are familiar with that, uh, we uh, did not want to tackle that ourselves. So we hired Tom, and many of you remember Tom Hayes. Uh, he came out and uh, he helped us design and lay things out because in a remodel, uh, there are a lot of uh, infrastructure things that are involved that we don't often have to deal with when we're just renovating. Because when you remodel, you're normally adding on space or adding up space, and we needed the help of a professional to do that. The same holds true when we talk about how God remodels communities, and we're going to talk about this in light of the big sense of how he remodeled his plan for the chosen people, the Israelites, his kingdom here on this earth, and how he had to remodel things through this period of the exile where he brought back the remnant and he began talking about how he was going to remodel or expand the size of the kingdom. Now, last week, we talked about community renovation in reference to 
how the remnant had to return to Jerusalem from Babylon as God used sticks and stones to renovate their core, their heart, their soul, their mind, and their strength. All that was important. Today we want to consider how God would remodel the temple and the city with sticks and stones, but expand it to illustrate the broadening of the plan that God had to include both Jews and those horrible Gentiles that held the children of Israel captive, how he was going to expand and restore the kingdom so it was completely remodeled to include the Gentiles. Now, if you were the favored child in the family, you know, you were the spoiled, rotten, chosen one, and your parents said, well, you know, we're going to have another child and we're going to have to either, you know, put them in a different room or build on for them. You might not like that very well because you might think that, well, I'm the important one. I'm the chosen one. Well, the children of Israel kind of had that same attitude. They were spoiled. They thought they were the only ones of God's affection and love. But through Isaiah, as he predicted it, Jeremiah, he prophesied about it. Daniel, he shared vivid dreams that he received from God about, about it. And the basic message of it all was that God was going to remodel things and he was going to build on new rooms for the Gentiles. Now, just in case you're in, unfamiliar with the terms, the Jews were the chosen of God, the seed of Abraham. They were all part of uh, the... 12 tribes of uh, Jacob's, Jacob's family. And so they were the chosen. All other people living on the earth at that time were considered Gentiles. They were not of this family, this Jewish family. And there had been enmity that had begin, uh, began to grow between the Jews and the Gentiles, mainly because the Gentiles, which would have been their uh, distant uh, grandmas, grandpas, aunts, and uncles were taking them into slavery in the case of in Egypt. And here again, when they are taken into slavery into Babylon. And as Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Daniel tried to offer a basic message of hope for the captive people, God was trying to illustrate that he was going to expand the kingdom of God which would include all nations, which should have been encouraging to the Jewish people, but they were very not encouraged. One might think that the Jews would be all for this kind of plan, that God was going to break down the walls of hostility and bring healing and oneness and unity, but for the most part, they rejected Isaiah and Jeremiah and Daniel's perspective. As a matter of fact, they were so bitter when they got back to Jerusalem and, uh, and at the temple that their hearts were too hard to receive the message that Daniel had offered to them. So as Daniel predicted, it would take another 490 years, 77s, found in Daniel 9, under the rule of the Gentiles before the Messiah would come to set up his expanded kingdom, which would be the church, in which he would break down the walls of hostility and make us all one in Christ. 
And he did this by offering the primary word picture used by both Isaiah and Jeremiah to illustrate how God can remodel his kingdom, his pottery, any way he wants and expand it when he wants to in this picture of the potter and the clay. In Jeremiah 18, verses 1 through 10, this is the word that came down to Jeremiah from the Lord. Go down to the potter's house, and there I will give you my message. So I went down to the potter's house, and I saw him working at the wheel. But the pot he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hand, so the potter formed it into another pot, shaping as it, it seemed best to him. Then the word of the Lord came to me, and he said, Can I not do with you, Israel, as this potter does, declares the Lord, like clay in the hand of the potter? So are you in my hand, Israel." If any time I announce that a nation or kingdom is to be uprooted, torn down, and destroyed, and if that nation I warned rep repents of its evil, then I will relent and not inflict on it the disaster at planned. And if at another time I announce that a nation or kingdom is to be built up and planted, and if, and if it does evil in my sight and doesn't obey me, then I will reconsider the good I had intended to do for it. In other words, God's saying he is going to remodel things with this clay and make it uh, different than what the Jews had had in mind as the chosen people. And the significance of this illustration, which originated in Isaiah, and we'll talk about that in a bit, it was picked up by the Apostle Paul in the New Testament, who was writing to the church in Rome, and in that, he offers the central truth which gives light to the plight of the remnant who returned from Babylon around the world. And that is that God was going to remodel things so that we could all find peace and unity through Christ. And this is a very important message for today because as people try to spark enmity and division between us for whatever reason they see is popular in that day, the historical, theological, and personal significance of this message will teach us that through Christ, God's plan has always been to break down the walls so that we can be one big family. Now, the historical significance of this is the Jews in exile in Babylon and those scattered by the Assyrian conquest of the northern kingdom, as we've been talking about, God remodeled them into a kingdom which had rooms for both the Jews and Gentiles. But as I said, they were not really happy about this story. That's why God said, how can you question the potter? You're just clay. Now, this would be a significant historical change for the Jews, even though it was always part of God's plan. Did God not say to Abraham, through his seed, all the nations of the earth would be blessed? Yes, he did. But the Jews, spoiled and embittered by what they perceived was God's weakness, because they had been taken captive. You get that? They became embittered because they were taken captive. Because of their sin, God said, and it had been protected for hundreds and hundreds of years. And they had been given chance, one after another, to repent. But they still, after they were taken captive, considered it was the fault of God. 
So they developed a 500-year grudge against all the Gentiles. Now, if you've ever been part of a family grudge, <laughs> you know that they can last for a long time over the silliest things. How about a 500-year grudge against all of humanity that we're not like you or not part of your clan or part of your family because you believe that God has failed you. Now in that 500 year period from about 580 until Christ came or until the beginning of the time that Christ came, the Jews would be pawns in the battle between the Persians and the Greeks, the Greeks and the Syrians, the Greeks and the, and the Romans, and they were kind of caught in the middle of all that. And so because they were not powerful and God was still so trying to get them to submit and have that new heart, soul, mind, and strength, they were subject to the brutality and the difficulty of living under the kingdoms of the Gentiles. Some, historian calls, some historians called it the period of the Gentiles. They would be humiliated time and again as part of God's judgment, but they still refused to repent. It made them so harsh, so hard-hearted, that when Christ came to preach peace to them, many of them even missed that because they could not even imagine thinking that the Gentiles who were worse than dogs to them, could be part of the kingdom of God. Now this impacts us because sometimes we believe ourselves to be the chosen people of God. We go to church or we're Americans or you fill in the blank. We are this and therefore we are favored by God. That has led many of us to believe there's no way God will bring disaster on America or bring disaster in the church in this great country. Isaiah warned the people of the northern and southern kingdoms, I am the Lord and there is no other apart from me. There is no God. I will strengthen you, though you have not acknowledged me, so that from the rising of the sun to the place of its setting, people may know there is none besides me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. I form the light and create the darkness. I bring prosperity and create disaster. I, the Lord, do all these things. You heavens above, rain down my righteousness. Let the cloud shower down. Let the earth open wide. Let salvation spring up. Let righteousness flourish with it. I, the Lord, have created it. And woe to those who quarrel with their maker, those who are nothing but potsherds among the potsherds on the ground. Does the clay say to the potter, what are you making? Does your work say the potter has no hands? Woe to the one who says to a father, what have you begotten? Or to a mother, what have you brought to birth? This is what the Lord says, the Holy One of Israel and its maker. Concerning things to come, do you question me about my children or give me orders about the work of my hands? It is I who made the earth and created mankind on it. 
My own hand stretched out to heavens. I marshaled their starry host. I will raise up Cyrus in my righteousness, and I will make all his ways straight. He will rebuild my city and set my exiles free. But not for price or reward, says the Lord Almighty. A couple of significant things here about Isaiah is he's saying to them, how do we question God's plan? Why is it that we say that God can't do what God wants to do? And how can we say that if we are disobedient to him that he cannot rise up another great nation or people to bring the light and the gospel message of Christ to the world if we fail or we fall in our task? The other thing about this is that here Isaiah is predicting uh, over a hundred years before Cyrus was even born. He uses his name as the one who will set free the exiles. As a matter of fact, Jeremiah makes this point clear. God will do what he has promised according to his plan, and we might have to suffer because of the disobedience of ourselves or others, but we should never suffer with them as fools, unaware of what God has taught us. The great news about what Isaiah says here is that he will strengthen you, he will prosper you, he can uh, he can rain down from the heavens above you his righteousness and shower down upon the earth his salvation. And his woe here is when we quarrel with him about that. There's a theological significance to this promise as well that goes along with the historical significance that God is still in control. And he has a plan that includes everyone in the whole world to be exposed to him and have the opportunity to come to him. And the question we have to ask ourselves historically in the church today are, have we tried to impede this message or this story that God has told us? It would be found in the theological significance offered by the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans that would clearly apply these words of Isaiah to the establishment of the church as the expanded remodeling which defined the chosen of God. So who are we in the church then to limit what God can do through us? Isaiah chapter, uh, excuse me, Romans chapter 9 verse 20 through 26. Paul says this, but who are you, a human being, to talk back to God? Shall what is formed say to the one who formed it, Why did you make me like this? Does the potter have the right to make out of the same lump of clay some pottery for special purposes and some for commons, per, common use? What if God, although choosing to show his wrath and make his power no, known, bore with great patience the objects of his wrath? 
and he prepared that he prepared for destruction. And what if he did this to make the riches of his glory known to the objects of his mercy, whom he prepared in advance for glory, even us whom he has called, not only from the Jews, but also from the Gentiles. And as he says in Hosea, I will call them my people who are not my people, and I will call her my loved one who is not my loved one. And in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there will be called children of the living God. Romans 9, 20 through 26. Paul is making clear, he's applying in this theological significance, arguing what was difficult for the Jews to accept. Even the apostles, the disciples who listened to Jesus for years, had a hard time in accepting this truth, but eventually they would conclude at the council in Jerusalem, as described in Acts chapter 15, verse 7 through 9, uh, Acts 15, 11 through 19 is the, the full text here. But 7 through 9 says, After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe God. Who knows the heart? He showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them. Just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Verse 11. No, we believe it is through the grace of the Lord Jesus that we are saved, just as they are. The whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. And when they finished, James spoke up. Brothers, he said, listen to me. Simon has de described us how God first intervened to choose people from for his name from the Gentiles. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this that is written. After this I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild and I will restore it and the rest of mankind may seek the Lord. Even all the Gentiles who bear my name says the Lord who does these things. Things known from long ago. It is my judgment therefore, according James, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are returning to God. Now, the theological significance here, and the reason this is hard for, to understand, is because for 500 years, the Jews carried this, this grudge against the Gentiles. And now, Paul's saying, God is welcoming the Gentiles into the kingdom of God. He wants to make them part of the chosen people. Those that were not loved, he wants to love. Those who were not called, he is calling. And the Christians in the early church had to understand that God was remodeling through expansion and would include the Gentiles who had faith in Christ Jesus. That would become the determining factor is how you deal with Christ. And in addition, they were not to impede that process. And the lesson for us is, have we come, in full come around full circle where we're beginning to think... Because we're chosen and there are people who are not like us, they don't think like us, and we find them deplorable or detestable in some kind of way, that they could never come to Christ Jesus. So we limit or we talk to them about what we think that they should do or what, how we should limit whether or not they can be a part of our family. The personal significance of this found in Isaiah 29, 14, which says, Therefore, once more, I will astound these people with wonder upon wonder. The wisdom of the wise will perish. The intelligence of the intelligent will vanish. 
Paul would clarify in 1 Corinthians 1, 18-24, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those of us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made the foolish wisdom of this world? For since the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs, Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ and him crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. But to those whom God has called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. We're part of God's remodeling expansion connected to the remnant returning from Babylon 2,500 years ago when we believe that Jesus Christ with the sacrifice that both Daniel and Isaiah predicted would come and make open the door to the Gentiles. And why is it significant? Is because in this particular day and age when people go after one thing and then another and they fall into deception and hollow and deceptive arguments and philosophies, we believe in something that has been proven for thousands and thousands of years as part of God's plan. And Paul clearly spells this out in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13 through 22, when he says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through, through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who are far away, and peace to those of you who are near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people, and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. And in him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. As we gather together as a church family this morning, we're part of thousands of years of God's plan of expansion. We are a holy temple in the Lord in which his spirit dwells. And it's important that we not fall prey to Satan's schemes to divide us all over again based upon man's wisdom versus the wisdom of God, which is what plagues the church today. We talked about the divisive nature of the secularism and intersectionalism of our culture, where people want us to see ourselves as a color or as a nationality or as a gender. This is all part of Satan's schemes to draw us farther and farther away from God's plan to make us all one. So we might learn, want to learn from the error of the embittered Jews who were forced for 500 years to endure God's hand of punishment for their lack of faith. 
and wake up. Because even as they were embittered, God used them to establish the sticks and stones part of his plan to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem because God is the potter and we are the clay. And your choice is to either be a happy piece of clay in his hands that he forms into a beautiful, noble vessel or a miserable, marred piece of clay that he may just have to throw onto the ground. This historical and theological and personal perspective should at least broaden the scope of our understanding. When doing a big remodel, there are many considerations concerning the electrical and the plumbing and the load-bearing walls and the mechanical systems. I always just get a smile on my face when um, in any of the home and garden television shows where the Property Brothers especially, and they're going to do this and they're going to do that, or flip or flop, they're going to do this and that. And then I've got some bad news. This, this wall here is load-bearing, so we cannot remove it, or we're going to have to put a $10,000 beam in, you know, do you remember those stories? There are many considerations which we don't think about. We don't have to think about because God has already thought about them. He's been purifying them for thousands and thousands of years. When we don't broaden our understanding of the details of God's blueprint, it can cause us to become compartmentalized in our thinking and make the same mistakes that the Jews did. This causes, us to, this causes things like denominationalism, in which Christians compartmentalize themselves in separate groups who think they are superior to each other because of the, their particular biblical understanding. I am a Christian. Well, I'm a Christian, but I'm also Baptist. Well, I'm Catholic, or I'm a Presbyterian, or I'm a Unitarian, or I'm Episcopalian. Why is it that we spend so much time compartmentalizing ourselves in these denominations? And because we have not learned the lesson of the Jews, we just make it harder on ourselves. We do not have any authority to make it difficult for others to believe in Jesus by our own mandated set of rules and regulations upon them, our goal should always be to lift up Christ and Christ alone, Him and Him crucified, and let God work on their hearts through that message. Because God can do more through them believing that Jesus is the Messiah, that He is the Savior, than any lesson that we might be able to teach them about our denominational structure. We also have to be concerned that we are not trying to win people to a denomination or to a church organization, that we are trying to invite them to be a part of the family of God that is through Christ Jesus. We need to break down walls of hostility instead of building them up. Satan's done a great job making churches think they are in competition with each other instead of with him. If you ask preachers uh, who's their biggest competition, they'll mention the church preacher down the road because that's the way we think. So we're all competing for the same small pool of people to come to our churches. When really the, question, the answer should immediately be, well, Satan is our competition. He's our enemy. As we've learned from Paul, God is in the business of breaking down walls of hostility, not fabricating facades to keep us apart. We should pray for other churches. We should cheer them on 
We should cooperate with one another when we can. Because Satan is the enemy. And we are part of the same family when we all believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And that we are part of his grand kingdom here on this earth. Which means we should bring on the restoration. We should invite that in our culture together. And it will take the churches coming together in this time and space if we are to see restoration from captivity, the cultural captivity we've talked about for the last few weeks. We must never forget that we are but humble vessels to be used of God, which will, He will use in His own glorious ways. Uh, 2 Corinthians 4, 5 through 7, For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, made His light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. The Jews, they always believed that they had the power and the power was them, not God. And we need to learn the lesson that they still in many ways refuse to learn. And that is that the power's in God and we are simply temple uh, jars of clay in which we hold this great treasure. We are but jars of clay, part of the expanded remodeling that God started in the days of Isaiah and Jeremiah. And if we think, oh, it's great, we're America, because we are part of something that started back 200 years ago. Well, multiply that by 10 because we're part of something that's even older than that in the church. We're part of God's plan to bring all nations together under one head, and that is Christ Jesus. And it is Jesus Christ that will bring about the restoration in our time as we seek to overcome the different forms of captivity which have clouded our thinking and judgment right now. And you can call it whatever you want, you can describe it however you want, but it is just an effort to try to get us to take our eyes off of Christ. We have a commonality with all believers around the world, whether they live in China or Korea or Germany or Russia. We have a commonality with all believers in the world, and we must call on the Lord together for His healing. Can you imagine if the billions of believers in the Lord collectively began to cry out to Him for healing God's already told us that if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, I will hear their prayers and I will heal their land. There's a lot of things that we could be worrying about right now. The best thing that we can do is pray and encourage other believers to pray. And on our Facebook pages talk about how we're going to pray today or in our Instagrams or our 
whatever social media is that you want to use, talk about prayer, talk about Christ, and they silence you or they block you or whatever they, that you, you're afraid that they might do, don't worry about it because God is greater. He's greater than Mark Zuckerberg. He's greater than Jeff Bezos. He's greater than uh, the people at the Googles. He's greater than them all. And he has a way of getting his word out when his people open up their mouths. The only way it doesn't get out is when we remain silent. The basic three-step process of, uh, of, potter, of a potter when he is making a, uh, a vessel with clay, he first has to form the clay. Then he has to fire it in a kiln, cook it. Then he finishes it up with a protective glaze. God is forming us daily. He is allowing the fire of discipline to make us strong. And he is putting a protective glaze finish on us so that we can be used as a humbled vessel for him. Paul wrote to, second, wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, 19 through 26. And I think this is very, very appropriate for our day today. It says, nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription. The Lord knows those who are his. And everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. In a large house, there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for special purposes and some for common use. Those who cleanse themselves from the latter will be instruments for special purposes. Made holy useful to the master and prepared to do any good work. So flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with all those who call upon the name of the Lord out of a pure heart and don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. We are believers as part of God's remodeling project. It has been a long time developing, and the potter has made it so. He has rerouted plumbing and wires and ducts to accommodate the new rooms for those who call upon his name, no matter what is their lineage. There's room for everyone you know, and we must invite and include them in this remodeling project. The hardest project that I've ever done in terms of remodeling was the little deck we put out by our swimming pool. I'm thankful to Flag Lumber for providing the lumber. <laughs> but shout out to Flags. Well, they didn't provide it. I bought it. Actually, Elizabeth bought it. We had to dig and dig and dig and dig and dig some more. We didn't have a, we didn't, I didn't think that we needed a little bulldozer or anything. We had shovels. 
and we're on top of that little hill where it's nothing but clay and rock. So we, di we dug and we moved and we dug and we moved and we moved posts and then we set new posts and then we secured the planks with screws and then we had, uh, we, uh, we uh, sealed it up. And I, I just have to tell you, there were days I thought I was going to die when we were doing that project. But now, each day, when I get out and I can walk in my own backyard yet now, in the shade uh, of the evening, and I make that loop around our pool in the, on the deck, or I see my grandkids riding their bikes around and they don't have to worry about them going into the pool head first, or when we have family gatherings or we have church family out or the youth group comes out and they're able to expand out all the sweat and the tears and the, the pain and the agony that was put into the deck was all worth it. But it was all about making more room so more people could be a part. And God has that same goal through all things. And we should learn about his nature through this story. And that is that God wants more of us. He wants those in your family and those that you work with and those that you know in your communities or your schools. And you might think, well, I don't, I, I can't. I don't know if they want to know God or not. It's not the point. Of, it doesn't matter whether they want to know God or not. God wants to know them. And he wants to use you to reach out to them. And our attitude must always be confident because, God, we're part of this 2,500-year process where God is remodeling and expanding, and he will expand again if we'll just stop being silent. Because God wants more. He wants more people, more souls to be in heaven with him for all eternity. So lest we become like the Jews and embittered, we try to limit things or we try to pout because things are difficult. Remember that it's all part of God's process to open up the doors, make more room for everyone that you know. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful today to try to learn from this story about you being the potter, us being the clay, that Isaiah, Jeremiah, that Paul talks about in Romans. Hopefully, Lord, that we've learned this lesson that you provided for us through your scripture, through your word, that you have a plan and you've had it since the beginning, but especially involving the captives and the exiles in Babylon to come back and expand and remodel so that all the nations of the earth could be blessed by knowing your son, Jesus Christ. And our takeaway from that, Lord, today is that each one of us must commit ourselves to you, to open up our mouths to everyone that we know about Jesus. We'll preach him crucified, not ourselves. We'll tell people the truth about his love for them and how he can make us all one. 
And we can overcome all the nasty voices that are out there in the world today that are telling us that we need to focus on our differences instead upon the one thing that makes us all the same, that we are your children, that you love us all, and that you bring us all together through your Son, Jesus Christ. Help us to live that boldly this week. I pray in Jesus' precious name. Let all God's people say.